Good morning. Good morning. I almost said good evening. Good, good morning, everybody. It's good to have everyone out with us for our morning half of our worship service. And if you have your Bibles, be, be opening up with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 4. Now, this is speaking about Christ being a foundation to a temple. Now, someone not knowing Christ, not knowing God's instructions, and not knowing His Word, and I said, well, how can a person be a foundation? How can someone lay ahead something that someone must build off of? What are you talking about? So what we're talking about is, is building our spirituality off of Jesus Christ, His lifestyle, His examples, and His commands. And we will be ascended into heaven at the right place, with the right hand of God, where Christ is right now, sitting at the right hand of God. But we have to build off of Christ. If we build off of any other doctrine or any other commands of Christ, we will consider ourselves lost on Judgment Day. We kind of got a sneak peek of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. But looking within ourselves and looking at ourselves, who do we look like? Well, keep in mind, whenever Christ was teaching those Jews, those who disbelieved him, and we're going to get to those who rejected the cornerstone down there in verse 7. But whenever he was teaching those Jews who rejected him, he, he asked them a significant question in which we need to ask ourselves this question as well. Who is our father? I don't mean your, your birth father, the one who brought you into this world, or the one half of the folks who brought you into this world. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about who are you following? Who is directing you in your life through his word? Is it God or is it Satan? There's only one or two, one of the two. You can't be one and the same. can't be one and the other. It's either one or the other. Christ asked those Jews, he asked them that wonderful question or a significant question that, like I said, we need to ask ourselves. And he asked them, who is, our, who is your father? He already knew who their father was. He knew their father was Satan. They had not found Christ. They had not built off him and created a foundation and built that temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells, that being God himself, or one-third of God. They answered first that question, who is their father? Abraham. They said, no. If Abraham were your father, you would be doing the works of Abraham. Keep in mind, Abraham was the friend of God. Can we be considered the friend of God this morning? He told them, no, Abraham's not your father. He said, of course, we're not born out of fornication. God is our father. Oh, okay, Abraham's not your father, so God is your father. He says, no, if, you would, uh, if God were your father, you would have loved me. You would have accepted me because I proceeded forth from my father in heaven. And he lays it out on the line. He tells them, Satan is your father. And you love to do the works of his because they rejected him. We need to take notice of ourselves today. We need to look into that mirror, so to speak, and look within ourselves and see what type of person we actually are. Where is our dedication? Where is our building that we are building? Keep in mind the, the, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. We're not going to consider him this morning. We're going to consider that wise man who built his house upon the rock. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to Him, that being Christ, us, coming to Him as 
to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, let's stop there in the fifth verse. Coming to him as to a living stone in the first part of verse 4. A living stone, what are you talking about? Well, keep in mind what a cornerstone is. We made reference to a cornerstone. You may not know what a cornerstone is in listening to this lesson or, or being present. A cornerstone is something the builders back in Jesus' day would have measured off of. It's a stone that laid in the corner and everybody measured off of it. It was unmovable. Christ is our spiritual cornerstone. He's the one we measure ourselves up to. He is our example. He is the way that we should live, the way that we conduct ourselves. He is our cornerstone, this living stone, so to speak, as Peter is writing here in verse 4. Now, coming to him is important. Christ also instructs his brothers and sisters to be in Christ. If you seek to come after me, if you want to go to where I am going, Take up your cross and follow me daily. What that says is bear our burdens. Realize we have sinned. Repent of them. Get forgiveness of them and follow him because in holding on to sin, abiding in sin, we cannot follow Christ because we don't measure up. We look within ourselves and we see into that mirror as we studied this morning very briefly about that dark stone that was polished and we, we barely see ourselves but we don't look like we should. We don't look like Jesus Christ. We need to dig down and find that foundation. And when I say dig down, we get rid of the things that are not important to our spiritual lives. That thing, the things that pull us away from Christ. Those things that steer us away from God. Those things we must purge out of our lives. What would, what would steer us away from God? What, what, would, what would strive us away? What would, what would steer sin? The sinful things of the world, we have given them up. We find that again in uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We died to sin. Since we've put Christ on, we've come to them, we've been immersed into his death or being baptized into his death. We've put him on through baptism. Galatians 3, 27. We put Christ on. We accept him into our hearts. We open ourselves unto him and we are should be following him. Walking this world just as he himself walked. Did I say it was going to be easy? I will not. Because God himself considers it a straight path. But that gate is narrow that leads into everlasting life. And unfortunately few are going to be there who find it. We find that in Matthew chapter 7, that straight and narrow gate. So we look at this foundation or this cornerstone or this living stone that we need to find. First off, we need to come to Him. Whenever you come to Him, you're leaving something. You're, you're leaving something that's, that Christ would not participate in, something that God disapproves of. We're leaving sin. We're living, we are leaving something that's 
surrounds Satan himself or involves Satan himself by his toils and his snares. So when we're leaving the things of the world and we come to him, we find him. Because if you notice the scriptures tell us, seek and you shall find. If we seek God, we shall find him. He ain't hiding. He wants us to find him. He wants us to come to him. Through his son, only through his son, can we come to him. For Christ says, no one comes to the Father except through or by me. The word rejected is there in verse 4. We think about the Son of God. Someone who has accepted him, someone who is trying to follow him. Why would someone reject Christ? We see this time and time again through the Bible. We see this time and time again even unto this day. Folks rejecting Jesus Christ. I was in a scenario Friday evening. I was, I was blown away. I was, I was, I was taken away from the, the situation. When I say this is, this person considered himself to be a Christian. He said, well, that's, this certain scenario that he was talking about wasn't the Christian way, so he didn't do it. But if you heard, was around the corner hearing him talk, he sounded like a sailor. Artists read Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And I said, well, I'm going to use that this morning. Colossians chapter 3 also teaches that we have to refrain from filthy conversation or filthy language coming out of our mouths. This person has yet to learn this or just don't care. He has yet to found Christ. He has yet to build his house or his temple from that foundation which is Christ. That cornerstone that doesn't move. Is that us today? Not that time, that not that particular type of sin of filthy language coming out. It may very well be. We need to stop con, uh, having that type of con conversation. Those words that are displeasing to God needs to stop coming out of our mouths. And I understand it's a habit because I used to be that person. It's a habit that's hard to break, but it can be broken if we come to Jesus. If we come to our Lord and Savior by giving up the ways of the world because those things will consider us lost one day. They will take us away from God. They will take us away from salvation or that promise of everlasting life or even that promise of the crown of life in Revelations 2.10. So rejected is there in verse 4. Who would reject Jesus Christ? Well, in his time, it was the Jews. They rejected him. God's chosen people, the house of Israel, many of them rejected him. And if you study the Jesus' cross or the path to the cross, by the action of a particular set of Jews, they crucified the Son of God. But that was not the end of their spirituality. 3,000 of them got forgiveness for that act. 3,000 of them. They realized what they had done was kill the Son of God. We find this in Acts chapter 2. Whenever Peter gives his wonderful first sermon and convinces them what they had done with lawless hands was to kill the Son of God, was to kill the Christ, the Messiah, the one who they were waiting for. They killed him. The word rejected is there in verse 4. 
Unfortunately, folks today reject him as well. Let's make sure that's not in the household of faith. Because we learn in Romans chapter 6, that we put Christ up. We have partakings of his burial, or his death, excuse me, and his burial. Our old man or our old lady was crucified on that cross with him whenever we were immersed in those baptismal waters. The word rejected is there because the world cannot come to it or chooses not to. And we see this happening even in today. I can't give up my sins. I'm not ready to come to Him. And that word is used often. I'm not ready. I can think of a wonderful example that a parable was given from Jesus Christ. It's the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Those foolish virgins, they weren't ready. Keep in mind, they didn't bring extra oil with them, so they had to go get some oil when their lamps burned out because the bridegroom was delayed. They didn't know when he was coming. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Christ is coming. We need to make sure we're ready. Let's make sure we're not rejecting rejecting him on that day as a child of God because we can do so. Huh? Why would someone do that? My mind goes to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 and 27. We cover these verses often. We cover them often enough we should have them memorized. But Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 and 27. Keep in mind this was wrote to Christians. This was wrote to those who have found the cornerstone. Who have come to Christ and yet walked in the world returning back to their sinful state. Verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Coming to Christ and turning your back on Him and walking back in the world, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. But, in verse 27, something opposite of sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of fiery judgment that will devour the adversaries. The word adversaries is there just like rejected is there in verse 4. When we reject Christ, we become God's adversary. Now picture yourself God's adversary on judgment day. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, is what you should expect to hear if you are an adversary of God. Fiery indignation. That's scary. That's terrifying. It should be terrifying. When we come to Christ, Him being that living stone or that cornerstone, that foundation we need to build off of, we do not need to reject Him just as those Jews did in His day. Indeed by men, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. I agree with that word precious. There's nothing more valuable that we can have than a friendship with Jesus Christ. That is the most precious thing that we can own. Having that relationship, that abiding in His love that we should have. Now verse 5 refers to you. It refers to me. It refers to those who have come to Christ as that living stone. You also as living stones. What? What? 
Us, we, as, as a child of God, we can be a living stone. We can. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to abide in His love, to keep His commandments. Whenever we do so, we become like Christ and also to be, abide with Him where He is, just as artists read in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we are hidden with Him. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. We find that again in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Keep in mind that cornerstone or that living stone that we should be and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And that happens on Judgment Day in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, refers to us as children of God. We must be that living stone, unmovable, not tossed to and fro, but abiding in his love, that is, keeping his commandments in first, uh, first time. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. See, like I said, we keep covering over and over again, it just, it just tends to stick. The rest of verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The word through is important in that verse. Keep in mind when Christ was teaching his apostles and disciples and us as well through his word, he says then uh, that very important. I'm the way, truth, and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through or by me. We got to go through Christ to get to God. We got to have his blood. We got to have that access through his blood. It might be a little confusing, but we can't just come to God. We got to go through Christ's blood. We got to have, we got to put him on. We got to be immersed. That must happen. But now we're, as living stones, we're being built up. Oh, yes. We had this example this morning of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a necessity for salvation. Once we were by, once we were babes in Christ, again we thought as a child, we spake as a child, we even understood as a child when we was a child. We move on to growth. We put some miles on, if you will, in our spirituality. And now we have become grown adults. The scripture there says men. Now I become a man. Ladies, you're included. You have become mature. No longer spiritual immature, but now mature. We're being built up as we study God's Word, as we let it sink deep into our hearts. We're going to let it change us. We're going to let it motivate us to be obedient to God, not being obedient to Satan, because if we take, pay close, real close attention to God's instructions, if we're following Satan, we're going to be condemned. We're not going to have any participation in salvation from the fall. We're going to have to endure the fall. If we follow Satan. So let's not follow Satan. Let's follow God. Let's be allowed to be, excuse us, let's allow God through his word to build us up. To build that spiritual house where God himself abides. Did you hear that? 
where God himself abides. He wants to abide in you. Remember the parable of the unclean spirit. Remember that parable? That old demon was cast out. The house was all cleaned up. This person cleaned up his life. He stopped doing all kinds of sinful things, but he forgot to do one important thing. That, unset, that swept and cleaned house, he neglected to put God in it. Oops. In neglecting to put God in that clean house, that unclean spirit returned. He returned back to his sinful ways, and he brought seven other worse demons. And, and, and the man that was changed, reverting back to his sinful state, was worse off than he was in the beginning. A certain fearful expectation. Now that fiery indignation, now we know it's there. We know it's coming for those who are disobedient. Let's make sure we're listening to the pen of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Are we allowing ourselves to be built by God? I hope so. Because as we, as we have found Christ... As we have found that foundation, He is our cornerstone, measuring ourselves up against, we must provide spiritual sacrifices. What? What does that mean for us today? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Turn there with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We're going to see the word sacrifices in here, and it's going to be kind of like an oxymoron if you was in the first century. Huh? How, you, to sacrifice something, you have to kill it. Yes, that, that had to happen in the first century. Uh, under the Old Testament. Excuse me, under the Old Testament. A little further back than the first century. Now, chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or Christians, or child God, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, here it is, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice means we're not going to be succumbing to sin. We're not going to have any participation in the things that separates us from God. Isaiah 59 2 teaches that separation happens. So we learn here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1, well, verse 1, we have to be a living sacrifice. Also, we have to be holy or set apart from the world or things that are sinful and acceptable to God. Well, first off, let me ask you this. Do we know what's acceptable to God? And in, in, in answer to that yes or no, we need to find out what's acceptable to God, do we not? We need to find out what is approved of Him so as we can do it. Which is your reasonable service. Reasonable God will not put anything beyond our means. Being a Christian is not impossible. Jesus Christ did it while wearing flesh. He came to this earth, condemned sin in the flesh. That being said, the things that we do that are displeasing to God, Christ condemned it because he did not participate in such acts. Keep in mind, he is that living stone. 
He is that cornerstone that we measure ourselves up to. He is our example. Let's make sure, without a shadow of a doubt, in verse 2, that we are not conformed to this world and setting our minds on things above, like Artist read in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will. You might ask that in a general, what's God's will? Well, God's will is not that he wishes everyone that, would be, that should be saved. He wishes none to be lost. But his word is going to condemn many. We referred to that straight and narrow gate a few minutes ago, right? There is a wide and broad gate. Or a wide path and a broad gate. Folks, that gate leads to destruction. When we don't find out what's acceptable to God, and then we find out what's acceptable to God, and we don't do it, both is that wide and broad path, or that wide and broad gate. Again, that leads to destruction. But keep in mind of that other gate. That other, well, keep in mind that many are going to find that wide and broad gate that leads to destruction. But then we remember that other gate, that other path, that other lifestyle that we should live, should live. That one leads to everlasting life. That straight path, that difficult path, and that narrow gate. But unfortunately, few are going to be the ones who find the path that's acceptable to God and that gate that leads to everlasting life. Let's make sure we help God out. Again, not by sinning, but being obedient to his word. We find that again in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Why can't we just help God out by sinning more? No, we died to sin. As a child of God, being immersed for the remission of our sins, we died to sin. We died to Satan in his ways. Let's cast him out. This morning, you may be wearing sin. You may need to purge those sins out. God has commanded us some instructions for our second law of pardon as we made mention of in Bible class this morning. Confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, confessing of our sins, and asking God to forgive us of those sins. Does that need to happen this morning? You may be outside of Christ. You may need to be immersed for the remission of your sins. Let's put Christ on this morning. There's no reason you should walk out of these doors or take another step in your life being lost. Are you lost this morning? Why don't we make that change to being saved or found as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?